the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. There's been a worldwide culling of surplus staff at crypto companies around the world, more than 30,000 according to some estimates, which tells us something about the depth of the crypto winter we're in. Luno last month announced it would shave its global headcount by 35%, which means about 300 jobs are on the line. We've seen this kind of attrition in the stock market each time a bear market circles around, only to see staff hiring pick up again as markets recover. So perhaps we can expect to see the same in the crypto space. A forensic trail of what happened in the crypto market over the last year shows two major events that contributed to the market decline. By far the biggest was the collapse of the Terra Luna stablecoin in May 2022, followed by global crypto exchange FTX in November of that same year. That sent Bitcoin down to a low of about $16,500, a 75% drop from its high of $67,000 a year earlier. Since then, Bitcoin is up 44% and it's dragged the rest of the crypto market with it. We know from market research that crypto exchange volumes have been hammered in this bear market. Several market analysts suggest the start of the next bull market could now be in progress, though they don't discount the possibility of another price drop before that happens. Well, joining us to explore this in more detail is no stranger to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, Marius Reitz, who is General Manager for Africa at Luno. Welcome back, Marius. You doing all right? Hello, Kieran. Yeah, it's good to be back on your show. Yeah, I think we spoke to you probably about three months ago. I mean, and since then, a lot has happened at Luna. Can you start by addressing the state of the market that led to Luna's decision to let go of 35% of its global staff? Yeah, Kieran, I think, you know, 2022 was an extremely tough year for the global financial markets, for the tech sector specifically, uh, but even more so for the cryptocurrency sector. You know, there was a global economic downturn coupled with an even bigger downturn in the tech sector. And then also certain factors unique to the crypto market that also impacted the market negatively. So historically, when we when we look at previous bear markets, you know, more recent one, probably March, April 2020, you typically have global, you know, uh, factors uh, such as, you know, COVID outbreak or trade wars. You typically see, you know, the, the crypto market moving in the same direction uh, as the equities market, and you, you see a weaker correlation, you know, between cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and equities. And that's what we saw in, in March, April 2020, when, you know, the initial shock of, of the COVID pandemic, you know, pulled the crypto markets down together with the equities markets. And then, you know, soon after that, the crypto market started to recover as investors started looking for, for returns. This time around, I think, you know, because of the, the severity of the, the issues in the crypto market, it was a real shock to the crypto industry, in addition to the, the down cycle that, that the technology sector found itself in. And if you just look at the media, you know, headlines, uh, I think you know, Microsoft announced 10 or 15,000 uh, job cuts, Amazon 18,000, Yahoo, Zoom, Spotify, Google, you know, so there's a, there's a clear trend over the last couple of months. So, I think it's just not a. It's, we're not in an ordinary crypto winter at, at this moment. It's a you know, and crypto winter in, in in our world is a prolonged period of market the market being under pressure. But a series of shocks, as you mentioned in your intro, right? Uh, yeah, we had Luna, uh, the Luna stablecoin. We had the Three Arrows collapse. We had FTX, and you know, all of these had an overall compounding effect on the industry. So, how did that impact on Luna? I think you know, in two ways. I Sorry, think, j- just to interrupt you there. Um, yeah. Do you get this a lot that? You're having to explain the difference between Luno and Luna. 
Kieran, we had we had a couple of, of, of customers submitting customer support questions around Luna and, and, and Luna for sure. You know, the compounding effect of all of this had a negative impact on, on several crypto companies as well. And I think that the first company started announcing layoffs as early as Jan, February 2022, right? So I think how, how this impacted Luna on, on, on two fronts. Firstly, on the capital front. So, you know, you have a significantly more constrained funding environment, um, specifically from a venture capital perspective. The market's focus shifting from long-term investment Investments to short-term profitability, right? So, so there's a there's a clear you know shift in in terms of the the horizons and the timelines for for capital for for funders and and VCs to see return on on, on the investment. Um, so that side of the market is extremely constrained at this point. And then, secondly, on the operating side, of course, the negative impact on on market sentiment, and then consequently the the negative impact on growth and on revenues as well. You know, so so I think I think those were the two factors that that really had an impact. We did anticipate a, a market downturn. You know, as as you know, you know, you know, typically, you know, you you, you have to plan and act, act prudently. So we did forecast a, a a downturn, but we didn't forecast the downturn the downturn in terms of the the shocks that we experienced over the last six months or so, right? You know, the impact of all of this is that, you know, we, we have a much stronger focus on our core markets now, being South Africa, Nigeria, um, in Africa, Malaysia, Indonesia, and Southeast Asia, as well as the UK and France. Um, and we also have a much stronger focus on our core strengths, right? And, and that is, you know, being safest, being the easiest uh, platform out there for people to, to access cryptocurrency, you know, for the first time. So really focusing on our core markets and our core strengths. We still position strongly. Um, still a team of just under 700 team members at Luna. And we have been extremely busy this year and extremely focused on, on really, you know, adding value for our customers over the course of this year. So have you finished with the... The staff culling, the, the, the 300 headcount, is that done? Yes, it's done. It's unfortunately been a, a, a obviously a very, very sad uh, process, but the process is done, yes. Okay. And you're owned by Digital Currency Group for people who may have been following this in the news. That, that has been in the news last year and questions about its liquidity. Um, what can you tell us about that? Is there, are there any plans for change in the shareholding, change in the capital structure at Luno? Um, or, or what can you tell us about Digital Currency Group? Kieran, what I can say is that Luna is a, is an, a wholly-owned independent subsidiary of DCG. You know, you, you can almost think of DCG as a South African holding company, you know, um, an Aspers or a first rent, you know, type of structure uh, with, with independent subsidiaries. Um, and, you know, these subsidiaries typically have separate management teams, separate operations. They, they make decisions independently. And, and, you know, for Luno and, and DCG, it's a, it's a similar, similar partnership. So we really have, you know, obviously there was an indirect impact in, on, on Luno in terms of, of uh, you know, Genesis being a sister company of Luno. Just explain Genesis for people who... Genesis is a, a, a subsidiary company of DCG or a subsidiary of DCG, um, similar to Luna, um, it's one of the companies in the in the DCG portfolio. Um, Genesis uh, was impacted directly by by the FTX uh, collapse, um, and so there was fear, you know, uncertainty, and doubt in the market around whether Luna would also be impacted, you know, directly as a result of, of Genesis, which is not the case. So Luna continues to operate strongly, independently, you know, any of the the other subsidiaries, um, and you know, we, we are strongly focused on, on really this year and 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 you know, continuing to add value for our customers. Genesis yeah. being a, a crypto lender, it's in the crypto yeah. lending space, right? And I think it did extend loans to to FTX at some point. And I think that that has been the subject of quite a lot of press reporting in the last few months. Okay, 
Let's just talk about the exchange volumes because you mentioned, uh, and I'm quite interested to pick up on this, you know, is this a crypto winter? Because it does seem like we're in a prolonged down period. However, I mean, the, the exchange volumes tend to follow the cycle, right? So we, we, we are seeing like a, what is it, 45%, 40% jump in crypto prices in the last two months. As crypto prices rise, when we see these volumes pick up, is there evidence of that from Luno's point of view? Are you seeing an increase in volumes? Here in USBR, buy and sell volume spiked 100% week on week during the first week in January. That's when the, 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 the Bitcoin price moved slightly. And, you know, then also looking back at when the FTX you know, induced market you know, crisis started first week in November, uh, immediately after after that, crypto volumes also spiked um, 70% just to normalize the week after. So typically when you have these these market events, uh, you know, in the crypto market, whether it's, you know, a regulatory sanction or action or whether it's, you know, governance issues, then you typically see the price moving. You see you see trading volumes uh, go up or down, and then things normalize again. So, looking back from the first week in November, we saw 100% spike in volumes, and Lina specifically, if I recall, volume spike from 40 million dollars trading volumes that week to 80 million dollars, just to pull back, you know, the following week. And then since then, we've had a couple of small rallies. You know, I think they refer to this as a um, dead cat bounce where the price goes up and it gives you know investors false false hope yeah. um, and then the market after that the volumes will spike again um, and, and, and pull back so but you know we, we have seen increased active customer numbers so that's customers buying and selling in that period we've also seen in- increased engagement numbers so that's customers you know reading a blog post uh, consuming educational uh, information you know or setting price alerts for example so, but another interesting data point, Kieran, is typically when, when you see price volatility like this, you typically see altcoins, so that's a term for, you know, all the cryptocurrencies other than Bitcoin. You typically see investors moving from altcoins, uh, selling altcoins and, and buying back into Bitcoin. Bitcoin is perceived as the, the safe haven crypto in the crypto world. It's been around for the longest. It's been around for, you know, I think 12, 12 years, uh, or a bit longer even. So on Luna, we also saw a slight shift from, from altcoins uh, into Bitcoin. And at, at this point, Bitcoin represents just over 50%, 55% of, of all the crypto stored on Luna, with Ethereum second on 25 27%, and then XRP um, third on, on 10%. So if you look at the top three cryptos that I just mentioned, they represent 92% of all crypto stored on Luna. And then the other seven coins that we currently support representing mere 7%. So it's interesting. And, and there would be stable coins amongst them. Stable coins, USDC. USDC. Yeah. So are people sort of taking profits out of Bitcoin and then parking those profits in stable coins? Kieran, you would think so, but what we're seeing is actually customers parking profits in rent. But another interesting trend, and I think, you know, that something that we've witnessed over the last three to six months really is from a custody perspective. Um, so the way in which customers store their crypto. Um, we did see increased crypto outflows um, from, from Luna um, between November and February, you know, the three-month period after the market shock. Interestingly, in South Africa, we experienced net outflows, which is recurring at this point. But in Malaysia, we, we Luna has a license. Um, we actually experienced uh, crypto inflows onto the exchange. And it could be that, you know, there's a perceived added level of safety and security because of the fact that we are licensed in, in, in the market, which is interesting. But just to provide more context, you know, in crypto, uh, you know, two options exist for, for, for investors, right? They can either decide to firstly uh, keep their crypto on a centralized exchange, um, you know, and that is 
you know, it's, it's a it's a it's an easy way for first time crypto investors to store their funds, which can be quite technical. Um, uh, you know, so so at, at Luno we provide custody to our customers. They can they can decide to to store their crypto on Luno, and the second option is customers deciding to store their own crypto, right? Because they feel more comfortable to do that. That entails them then controlling and, and, and safeguarding their own private key. And you know, the private key is almost like a password. It's a string, on, string of letters and numbers, and, and that, you know, that allows you to access um, and manage your crypto. So I think the, 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 the unique thing about crypto is the optionality, right? Uh, customers have, have, have the choice. They can either keep the crypto on, on Luno or on a crypto exchange, or they can safeguard it themselves. And I think that is really powerful. I think that is what me, what putting the power of crypto in people's hands really mean. Because if you think about it, it's currently not possible for, for people, for investors to, to store digital fiat currencies or, you know, shares, uh, you know, on their own, really. It's, it's a, you it's can a, be your own bank. You, you can got be your own, own wallet, you can be yeah. your own bank, yeah. So, Luna, we, 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 did see, uh, we did see an outflow. And interestingly, Kieran, the vast majority of customers that withdrew crypto Moved the crypto into private wallets, which is you know just confirming that that customers prefer to to store the crypto themselves, and it also points, I, I guess, to a certain level of sophistication, right? That these investors have the confidence and the the knowledge in terms of how to how to manage their own their own private wallet, um, and I think that it, it points to the you know to the class of investors. I think you, you can say that that segment of the market is maturing slightly, which is good. I'm quite interested to hear about or get your insights into the demographics. And there has been, I'm sure, a change in the demographics of the average Luna customer over the years. We're still very much in the early stage of adoption, right? And, and South Africa's got a fairly high crypto adoption rate. And this is according to a number of studies that have been done. But I imagine the early adopters were pretty tech savvy kind of people. Uh, then following on behind that were speculators, the kind of people who before might have been doing you know, forex trading. What kind of person is buying now? Kieran, all of the above. I think really, I think there are many different types of investors, traders that, that, that still, you know, that are still active in the, in, in the market. You have more sophisticated investors, those that that you know, say that they think crypto has a as a role to play in a future financial system. They they take a bet that the technology will mature. That you know that that there will more use cases will will be unlocked. Um, and they buy crypto and they hold it for the long term. And we see customers on a monthly basis around payday depositing rents onto Luno, buying crypto and never touching the crypto. So there's no active trading, no sending and receiving of crypto. In fact, most of our customers never send or receive crypto. They just buy and hold or they buy and sell and then cash out the the profits or, you know, incur, incur losses. So yes, there is that the, the one segment that those that invest in crypto. Then you have Speculators, like you have in any any market, whether it's foreign currency or whether it's equities, they buy and sell. They seek to gain from short-term price movements. And in crypto, you know, with the prices being so volatile, obviously, they, I guess there's an opportunity, you know, to to profit. But there's all, maybe even a bigger risk in terms of incurring losses. And then you have a subset of customers that they do arbitrage trading. As you know, Kieran, they 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 try and take advantage of price differences that exist. Uh, in crypto between different markets. So on Luno, the price of Bitcoin is is X because Luno is a closed market. So only Luno customers can buy and sell on Luno. On a different exchange that has a, a, a RAND Bitcoin trading pair, the price will 
perhaps be half a percentage point you know, cheaper or more expensive. Um, and then if you look at foreign markets, you know, the price at, at which crypto trades and on foreign markets, uh, you know, in US dollars or euros and so forth, you know, there's an even bigger, bigger price difference, right? Although that price difference has, you know, been eroded over the last couple of years because of the number of people that participate in arbitrage trading, it's still a strong use case. And people tend to get creative in terms of how they try and, and you know, seek profits between or price differences between different cryptocurrencies. So the arbitrage trading use case is still very strong. Mm. Those are people that they don't necessarily believe in the underlying technology. They seek to, to, to profit you know, or to exploit price differences between, between cryptos. And then lastly, you have the, the edge cases. So you have people that transact in crypto, and we see this in countries like Nigeria, where there's a, there's a you know, scarcity of hard currency. And you know, we have customers in, in Nigeria uh, that pay the employees in USDC, for example. So you have various edge cases. You know, I spoke to someone a couple of weeks ago that runs an, an, a nonprofit, and, and, and they receive donations in cryptocurrency because of the fact that it's completely transparent. It's on the blockchain. It's auditable. Um, it's easy. So, yeah, it's, it's really you know, a complete mixture of, of all of these use cases. But what I can say is that I agree with you. I think we're still very early. I think we probably haven't reached the early mass market even. I think we are still in the early adopter phase. Perhaps we are about to cross into the early mass market where more people, you know, willingly buy buy crypto as an investment perhaps. And once we've reached the early mass market, once, you know, we reach that point of critical, critical mass where there's enough people that own crypto, then the payment use cases will, will start to unlock and we will see those network effects, right? Then more people will pay in Bitcoin at the pick and pay, right? Um, currently, you know, people... And, and I think people will demand to be paid in Bitcoin because it, it will become a money at that point. Yeah, perhaps, you know, we need to sort out all the, 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 the technical difficulties like tax. How do you pay employees tax on, on Bitcoin and things like that? Uh, but I'm, I'm confident that once we reach that point, and it's probably still 5, 10, even 15 years out, uh, Kieran, then... People will start using cryptocurrency in their everyday lives. And I think what we look at it at, at, at Luna is we, we think that people will use cryptocurrency in the same way that they use uh, you know, the current financial system. They will use it for a couple of reasons. They will use it to store value. They will transact. There's a, a need you know, to, to transact with it. And then there's a lending borrow need as well. Right? So currently on the crypto scale, we're still on the, the buy and sell or store of value side of things. Right? But you know, we think that the same use cases, that people will use crypto for the same use cases um, over time. And, you know, for that to, to happen, you know, the only thing that will get us there is time, really. We need more people to, you know, to, to participate in the crypto system. Yeah, I mean, last week we had uh, Crypto Convert on. They were talking about pick and pay and their, their adoption of allowing people to pay for their groceries using Bitcoin uh, via the Lightning Network. <laughs> which, of course, uh, you know, is very cheap and extremely fast and settlement is in seconds. So this is obviously an indicator of where things are going. And as Luno, no doubt you're positioning yourself for that. It's not just, uh, you know, as, as a speculative uh, asset, but as, as really much part of the financial system going forward. I want to talk about this thing about use cases a little bit more. Stable coins are becoming a serious force. You allow your clients to be able to buy USDC, USD coin, which is a dollar-backed stable coin. So it, it really is a, a look-alike of the US dollar, though it isn't a US dollar, but it is convertible back into the equivalent thereof. 
Okay, now the, and stable coins are quite fascinating because they do use cryptography. They're using the crypto technology, they're using the blockchain, you know, where you can move assets backwards and forwards, you know, across the world at very low cost, very fast. I want to find out from you what, what trends you are seeing that really strike you as being something to watch for. Sure, Kieran, yeah. I think on the on the payment side, of which USDC or stable coins would form part of, I think there are many interesting projects. Um, you know, I know, for example, that traditional payment gateways, you know, not necessarily in South Africa, but globally now, settle, settle their merchants in, in, in crypto. So, for example, an online business that accepts card payments. Um, historically, you know, the, the payment gateways would settle those merchants, you know, those online businesses in, in fiat currency, which would be quite costly, would be quite, you know, there would mostly be, be a time delay. Uh, so, so those gateways are now looking at crypto, specifically US, sorry, specifically stable coins to, to settle their merchants, right? So it makes it easier for their merchants to, to get their hands on, on their cash flow so that they can continue doing business. So I think that's, that's an interesting, interesting side of it. Um, then, of course, you have uh, central bank digital currencies, and those really are experiments by central banks to digitize money, really, I guess. Um, it's not the same as a, as, as a stable coin, um, but I think the, the intention perhaps is the same in terms of uh, financial inclusion, banking the unbanked, etc. Um, however, you know, I think many of those central bank digital currency projects currently are still in its infancy and probably in pilot phase. And uh, it's unlikely, I think, that, that many of, of those projects will make it beyond a pilot or a testing phase, um, I think, but time will tell. Um, yeah, I think the on the crypto, sorry, on the, on the payments front, it's, it's very interesting. I think just the mere fact that it is possible for, for us to buy something using the Lightning Network, which is a payments protocol that sits on top of the Bitcoin blockchain, is quite fascinating. And I think that in itself already is a success, right? Whether... Whether lighting payments, you know, at, at the retailers in South Africa succeeds or not, whether it becomes mainstream, you know, regardless of that fact, I think the fact, the mere fact that it works, the mere fact that without a decentralized, uh, sorry, without an intermediary having to, to process that payment, without having to trust an intermediary, that you can buy goods in South Africa at pick and pay is, is, is significant, right? And, and I think, you know, from there, we're likely to see you know, many, many more innovations coming to the fore over the next couple of years. Yeah, and of course, yeah. the Lightning Network is, is scalable so that it can actually handle, I think, in excess of a million transactions per second, if I'm not mistaken, whereas Visa is about 24,000 yeah. transactions per second. The, the thing about the Lightning Network, you're getting settlement straight away, whereas Visa, your settlement will take three days or so. Okay, I wanted to talk about the CBDC thing. There's a lot of controversy around CBDC. Good thing, bad thing. You know, I mean, I have my own personal views on that. I think there's the, the, the same kind of recklessness that the central banks around the world have exhibited up to now will just be replicated in the digital space. In other words, just inflating money supply to suit their political masters. That's not really what I talk to you. You do have an office in Nigeria. Nigeria is one of the first in the world to release a CBDC called the e-Naira. It absolutely tanked. I mean, it was it bombed from the reports that, that uh, I've been reading. There was an article in Forbes just quite recently about that. And China released one also fairly underwhelmingly during the Olympics. So these things haven't got, they haven't been getting the great traction. You know, people kind of like the idea of Bitcoin. It's private money. It's, uh, it's proven itself. It's uh, censorship resistant. In other words, you know, nobody can d deny you or, or stop you from having it or moving it where you want to. 
want your sort of uh, experience in Nigeria specifically, because Nigeria is an interesting country from the point of view of crypto adoption, very high crypto adoption, people using peer-to-peer methods to transact mm. outside of the, the, the local currency because it's depreciating so fast. What's your experience there? Kieran, I think firstly around CBDCs, I think you also have to see the positive. I think on the positive side, it's an acknowledgement by central banks that we are moving to more digital era. Uh, it's an acknowledgement from a central bank perspective that the competitive forces out there in terms of cryptocurrencies, potentially you know, providing the same services, uh, serving the same purpose as fiat currencies in future, that there's a, there's a need for, you know, for innovation. Um, I think there's obviously also in, in most markets where governments are currently trying CBDCs, there's really an honest in, intent to uplift people, you know, to bring people you know, online, to, to enable them to participate in the digital economy. And I think that's all good. I just think it will take time for us to reach that point. And I think currently there's very little incentive for people really to use a central bank digital currency compared to the traditional currency. And I don't think we're currently in this phase, even with cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, where, where we can have the conversation around banking the unbanked, right? Those people that currently own Bitcoin or crypto or, or any other cryptocurrency, typically, you know, they typically have bank accounts. They have traditional investments. They've got disposable income that they can use to purchase crypto investments. So I think we are still a couple of years out from, from really trying to, from seeing cryptocurrency playing a leading role in terms of connecting people to financial system in future. And I think Africa will be a, a key player there going forward, especially if you look at markets outside the key metropoles like you know, Kenya, Ghana, Nigeria, and South Africa. So I think the issue in Nigeria with the CBDCs, it was pushed down, pushed from the top to the bottom. There's very little utility for it at this point. Um, Nigeria already has a very strong banking sector in terms of payments. So you can receive instant payment with at very, very, very low cost between different banks already, uh, and it's, it's working. Um, so there's little incentive for people to use CBDC at, at, at this point to, to, to do peer, peer-to-peer payments, you know, and if they were to do peer-to-peer payments and they already participate in the cryptocurrency economy, they would much rather use a Bitcoin or an Ethereum, right? That, that's not prone to the same level of, of, of scrutiny, I guess, in terms of the the purpose of the transaction. So I think it has a role to play. It will play a more leading role over the next five to 10 years. Um, but but at this moment, it's it's really just experiments. Let's talk about crypto regulations. Uh, they, they're coming. It was announced last year by the Financial Sector Conduct Authority. All crypto companies, and that would include Luna and all the exchanges here, will have to be licensed as financial services providers. Cryptos are going to be designated as financial products. What do you think? How is this going to change the crypto landscape? Is it going to be radical? Is it going to be fairly innocuous? Uh, what's it going to mean for the ordinary person who's in- interested in cryptos? Kirin, I think it's going to be positive for the industry. We at Luna are proponents of an activities-based regulation approach, so, so thereby regulators focusing on the underlying activity or the service rendered. And that's exactly the approach that, that the FECA took uh, last year, November. So not really focusing on the technology or focusing on the cryptocurrency itself, but focusing on the, on the, on the underlying service providers. I think the industry will continue to thrive with or without regulation. But I think it's just in everyone's interest uh, you know, that there is some pragmatic regulation in place. So what I mean by that is a minimum set of standards that cryptocurrency companies have to meet uh, in order to protect consumers, essentially. I think that is the, the most important part here. You know, if you look at the recent issues in, in, in the crypto market, 
it would probably, you know, it points to an, to an issue around regulation and governance, right? And so, you know, this is all part of what regulation will bring into play for us. Um, I think a proper organization with a good governance function, um, an organization that analyzes the risks uh, it faces, I think will create a safer operating environment for everyone. So regulation will raise the bar. It really make it safer for, for consumers to participate in this new crypto economy. I think in terms of South Africa, it will have a positive impact. It will create barriers to entry for platforms providers that, that you know facilitate the buying and selling of crypto. It will make it safer for consumers. And I think it will, not immediately, not over the next 6 to 12 months, but I think in future, once we're through this, this current cycle, it should pick the interest from a traditional investment platform perspective, uh, asset managers, fund managers, financial advisors. And I think that will take time. I don't think we will see financial advisory firms flocking you know, into the crypto space you know, the moment it's regulated. I think you know, the, the events of the last six months, I think, has really created some damage from a trust perspective and credibility perspective. So I think that will take time. But at least from a legal and regulatory perspective, it will lay the foundation for, for future institutional adoption in South Africa as well. And we're seeing that in the U.S., seeing a little bit more sophistication from a, a rules and regulations perspective, and that should hopefully fly over to SA you know, in the near future as well. I guess one of the real benefits, and this was one of the primary motivations for introducing regulations, was to kill the scams as yeah. far as can be done. Now, uh, it was announced by the Financial Sector Conduct Authority when they first introduced these regulations, I guess the you know the one question you could then say to anybody who's you know I would like to uh, invest in crypto, uh, who can I go to that's reliable? Well, you can say go to you know check it first of all if they've got a, a financial services provider license, and that would be the very first thing. And secondly, you know how long they've been around the usual kind of due diligence that you would do. But I think a lot of people you know mirror trading for example masqueraded as you know as, as some kind of crypto company, and I'm sure. You got a lot of questions at the time, you know, how are you different from them? I think people really were caught up in the hype of crypto and they didn't really do a lot of investigation or due diligence and, and to see who is reputable and who wasn't. I think, you know, at MoneyWeb, we'd like to take some credit for, you know, showing people, you know, who, who are the good guys and who are not. Maybe we did a good job. I think we've, we did fairly okay. But do you think this is one of the things that's going to happen as a result of this? That people, they're going to be able to very quickly establish who's reputable and who's not. Kieran, definitely. It will make it much easier for, for the average person to distinguish between a, a licensed cryptocurrency platform and you know, an operator with really no regard or ability to safeguard customer funds and customer information. So I think that is it's good. I think the issue, though, is that very few people go onto the FSCA's website or scroll down to the bottom of a website, of a provider website, to see whether there is an FSP number. And very little, very few people understand what it means, you know, if there's an FSP license code, what that actually means, right? And what, you know, the standards that that company is, is held to, right? So I think there will have to be an ongoing commitment, you know, towards fighting financial crime. Know, even long after crypto companies have licenses, it will the the regulation will serve as a, a good initial filter, right? But there's no way in which you can eradicate you know all financial crimes on crypto platforms. And I think you know we also shouldn't have a um, a mindset of z- zero risk, right? Financial crimes happen across all financial platforms, right? It's not unique to the cryptocurrency market. So 
if you look at the financial crime trends, typologies that we currently see in the crypto market, it's really you know the same as what we see on banks, for example. It's things like scams, deposit fraud, um, account takeovers, uh, phishing SMSs, and phishing links, right? Um, and you know, if we if we look at something like phishing attempts and, and fake websites and you know, or fake social media profiles, uh, you know, Luna has gone really you know, from being the most targeted company two or three years ago when people would receive phishing SMSs with, with links to Luno to, um, you, you know, to a company that's well below the industry trend. And I can give a couple of stats here and around what we did over the last year to fight financial crime. In the last 12 months, we, we've shut down over 5,000 phishing websites. Um, most of those websites were shut down, 50% of those websites were shut down within the first 24 hours after being identified. 5,000. How do you shut them down? Or do you just report them to... We report them to a service provider, a company that we use, uh-huh. that then investigate, and then, then they shut shut down the, the website. And you, and you can do that in 24 hours? Yeah, it gets reported immediately. Um, it gets investigated immediately, and, and they, then that fake website gets taken down. And how do these websites come to your attention? Are they reported by somebody or they, one of your clients gets a phishing email? Or it's reported by customers, Kieran, but the, the, the provider that we use also proactively search, search the web for, for fake, fake websites. And then, like, also if you look at social media, we took down over 1,250 fake social media accounts, accounts that, 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 uh, you know, that, that either impersonate someone working at Luna or an account that impersonates Luna it, itself. And, and we often see these profiles on social media really posting legitimate educational content, right? They would repost Luna content. They would probe. They would ask questions. They would offer of educational support, but then what happens is that they would, through direct messages uh, on Facebook and on all the other platforms, you know, they would then target the people that follow that page. And, and, and so it seems like a legitimate uh, social media page, a cryptocurrency business or someone that works at Luno, but then, you know, they engage with them directly. So what are they saying? Hey, I, I work at Luno. Um, you know, if you want like great advice on you know, how to make money from crypto come to me is, is that what they're yeah, saying exactly and they yeah. even use google translate you know i've had people that uh, send messages in afrikaans to, to people um you know uh, because i'm afrikaans <laughs> so it really and they're from anywhere in the world they're from anywhere they're sitting in nigeria but they're chatting in afrikaans to someone <laughs> in, in south africa kieran so it's, it's it's an ongoing process um we we took down 200 websites that fraudulently used Luno's logos or, or you know our our links, um, and then also 200 versions of fake versions of the Luno app, the mobile application. Uh, wow. So so uh, yeah, I guess you know it's kudos to our financial crime team. It's a team of over 50, 50 people that full time focus on fighting financial crime. Fifty people in your 50 people financial is, crime team. Yeah. Okay, so these are the, I mean, I'm quite interested about the, the app. I mean, because that would be quite a clever way of fooling somebody into, you know, thinking I'm dealing with, with a Luno. It looks exactly like the Luno app. Maybe I'll send my money to, to these guys. That's yeah. obviously what they're trying to do, right? Yeah, so scammers use different attack vectors, and, and we literally have to, have to be on top of our game and, and to identify these, these, these new channels before, before customers get impacted. And these are springing up like by the week, by the day type of thing. Yeah. And, and you're having to shut them down just as fast. Yeah. Is this a new trend, uh, this kind of impersonation of companies and individuals? Kieran, I don't think so. I don't think it's new. I also don't think it's unique to crypto. You know, if you, if you look at the, 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 the fraud and the complaints, uh, you know, on, on a 
at a banking sector level, you also deal with phishing SMSs. You deal with phishing emails, emails that 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 lure you into clicking on a link and then adding or typing your 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 account login in information or sharing personal identifiable information like your ID number. So it's it's not unique to crypto, but I think. Uh, you know, during times when prices start to to move again, when prices start to go up again, then you typically see a, a surge in these attempts because there are more people interested in crypto is more you know in the media and in the in the in the headlines and and then they they try and take advantage of people's lack of knowledge. So it is really it's an it's an ongoing an ongoing process for us. Um, you know, continuously finding these fake operators and and you know shutting them down. Okay, just very quickly yeah. now. We've been through several bear markets, right? This last one was pretty was pretty bad. I, you know, maybe not as bad as some of the ones that, that went before it. But um, having reached you know the incredible heights of sixty seven thousand dollars per per Bitcoin to then drop seventy five percent, it's quite a drop. Is this market different in your opinion? Are we on the way out of it, or do you not really want to put your neck on the block on this one? Kieran, I can't say whether we're out of it or whether we will soon be out of it. What I can say is that, again, there's a clear trend over the last 12 years. We've been through 10 or 12 of these bear market cycles. We typically end up in a bear market cycle a year or two before the next Bitcoin halving, which happens in 2024. Don't know what the price will do after that, but if you look at this specific bear market again what i think what makes it unique is the fact that uh, what makes it an extraordinary crypto winter is the fact that we had this series of shocks you know from luna to three arrows to to ftx that we did not have in previous or in recent crypto bear markets and cycles so i think that really just deepened the the current cycle and and of course you know i don't have a crystal ball so i don't know what the market will do but we have been in a sideways sort of in a side, sideways market for the last couple of months and we'll probably continue moving sideways for the foreseeable future okay marius one final question what, what do we look out for from luna this coming year what's what's new what's hot yeah kieran so luna turns 10 years this year um so i think first and foremost you know we will we will continue to be that trusted guide for our customers, you know, no matter the year, no matter the circumstances, providing that safe, you know, secure, easy, easy experience for our customers. But we're also very excited and, you know, about a couple of, of new products and, and services that we are working on behind the scenes that we will formally announce very, very soon. But, you know, I think at the at the heart of it is we want to create value for our customers. Right? So we are expanding the, the, the options that our customers can, can use to invest in crypto. We are adding new coins. Obviously, we go through a rigorous vetting process when we decide to add any new cryptocurrencies. We are launching a crypto bundle fairly soon that will enable customers to invest in crypto and rands don't hold the underlying crypto, but they exposed to the, the, the price movements of that crypto basket. Um, and we will track the, the Coindesk large cap index. Is, is that like a derivative then, a, a CFD? No, it's, uh, a, yeah. it's a crypto bundle. Uh, so it's, you can almost think of it as, a, as, an, as an ETF type of, type of, of product. Okay, so, yeah. so the person does actually own the underlying cryptos? No, they don't own the underlying cryptos. They, they, they invest in the basket in, in, in RAND. And there are companies that offer this, this currently in South Africa as well. Um, you invest in RANDs and, and you then, at a quarterly basis, the bundle gets rebalanced according to the, the, to the Coindesk large cap index index and you gain exposure to the price movements of all the underlying cryptos in that basket okay yeah, yeah we'll be looking at, uh, at 
at a staking wallet, Kieran, fairly soon. Um, you know, giving our customers more 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 choice, or more options to earn crypto. Um, and then we're also launching account management tools uh, that will make it easier for our business customers um, to manage their accounts. So, for example, to add sub accounts. So it gives them a little bit more flexibility, you know, in terms of when they manage crypto assets on behalf of their client base, you know, to use Luno, you know, and to, to access the tools and, and features that make that easy for them. So, yeah, so I think a couple of exciting projects currently currently underway. Um, hopefully in the next couple of weeks we'll make some announcements, but really we've been hard at work. And as I said, and it's, it's all systems go, and, and we're very excited about this year. Then, of course, lastly, as we touched on already, you know, is, is the, the FECA license application process that, that will commence in June this year. So, so we're also reading ourselves to, to, to apply for that license. Wow, that's a lot to go through there yeah. and a lot of exciting things on the horizon. Uh, Marius Reitz, thanks very much for joining us on the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast. And we look forward to seeing how things pan out in the course of this year and whether, in fact, you start hiring again. No, thank you, Kirin. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.